I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to The Queen Pod, a podcast all about the incredible rock group Queen. My name is Simon Lupton, and joining me is a man who loves Queen more than Beelzebub loves putting devils aside for people. It's Rohan Acharya. <laughs> oh, that's good. Right. I like it. Do you imagine Beelzebub has a devil put aside for you? Oh, he's got more than one. <laughs> he's got more than one. As always, we are being assisted by producer Sam. Hello, Sam. Hello. Good. Yeah, that's all I can say. Lovely. That's all we need you to say. Thank you. That's more than we need. Yeah. So today we are going to be welcoming an old friend to chat about Queen the Greatest Live, the YouTube series. Um, but before we do that very thing, let's find out if Queen are the champions. We are the champions. Okay, so this is the part where we get to share a moment where Queen either intentionally or unexpectedly crept into our lives. And um, I've spun the randomizer, and this week it's picked on Ro. Has this happened to you this week? Yeah, the randomizer just seems to constantly pick me. Anyway, look. Yeah, it's just because yeah, your, okay, your name is right. the only one on it. I'll go first. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, you go first. All right. <laughs> All right, fine. So, okay, yeah, I have got one. I'm going to have to set the scene on it a little bit. Um, it's, it was actually it was it didn't happen this week. It was a little while ago, but it's one that's been tricking around my head ever since. Uh, in 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 the Britain, they have that show on the BBC at seven o'clock every weekday called the One Show. Yes, right, which is a magazine show where you have like a famous person and then a person with an owl. And then, you know, it's 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 all shows in one, I believe, is yeah. the concept of the show. I never watch it. However, We Will Rock You, the musical, is reopening mm. uh, very shortly, actually, at time of recording in a few days' time. Um, and so, Brian, Roger, and Ben Elton all went on The One Show. And so, I taped that episode of The One Show, and then I went through it and fast-forwarded all the owls and the bats and the, you know, <laughs> my neighbours stealing my pigeon coop or whatever the hell it is, videos and all that, to get to the Brian, Roger and Ben bit, watch the Brian, Roger and Ben bit, and then deleted, the, or, you know, got rid of the episode. And suddenly, while I was doing that, it genuinely took me back to, like, that 1989 to 1991 era where the miracle had come out and they might appear on a little bit of going live here or something there, or you know, and I would, te- yeah. I would literally VHS it, set the time, videotape the whole thing, and then spool through ages and ages of video just to get to the little bit of Brian and Roger being on a thing. <laughs> and then watch that over and over and over to death and then back again. I haven't done that for like 20 years. It was such oh. an old school brilliant th- i don't know like yeah like they that that thing they did with paul daniels in the wake of paul freddie passing you know that yeah. was a, a big deal interview for me and i taped it and but you had to forward through two hours of tv am <laughs> to get to that <laughs> bit. oh yeah oh it I was know. great it was glorious it was glorious a little bit of finding brian and roger 
on the telly box, yes, please, and thank you. Oh, yeah. That was yeah, that is moment. a curiously British thing, the one show, isn't it? But, you know, the fact you can have Brian, Roger and Ben and an owl on the same show yeah. is... <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You know, or, you know, you can, you can have Brian and Roger talking about the tragic passing of Freddie while sat next to Paul Daniels. It just oh, God. But, yeah. um, what about you, Paul? Do you like Queen? No, not really. For God's sake, really. why are you there then? <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I like that because yeah, we've all done that. It was almost like when you used to tape the top ten off the radio. Um, sure, then you know, spin past Fun Boy Three to get to get to Radio Gaga or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Happy that was days. a proper yeah. bit of old school experience you can still find in this modern world. Yeah, yeah. There you go. What was yours? That's a good one. I like that one. Uh, well, we haven't got time for mine, unfortunately, because we've got a guest waiting. Uh, someone who I think everyone who listens to the pod is going to be very excited to hear from. So let's um, let's get into our chat. No, but wait. Now, as I'm sure you'll recall, in 2021, Queen decided to mark their 50th anniversary by launching a YouTube series called Queen the Greatest was to be a celebration of the landmark songs, performances and events in their remarkable history presented in bite-sized chapters that would be released weekly. Some bright spark suggested that seeing as it was the 50th anniversary there should be 50 episodes which would play out over the entire year. It was my very great pleasure to be the one to come up with those episodes and I was joined by Queen Pod legend producer Giles whose silky skills actually put each one together. Fortunately the series was very well received attracting over 15 million views in total and is still being enjoyed wow. today. So delighted were Queen and Universal with how that went. The idea of bringing it back for a second series was floated and we settled on a year-long celebration of Queen as the ultimate live act, which we've imaginatively named Queen the Greatest Live. That's currently playing out and so we thought it might be fun to chat about it, not least because it gives us the excuse everyone has been waiting for to invite back onto the Queen pod the sheer force of nature that is producer Giles. Hello Giles! Hey. That's an astonishingly kind description. Thank you very much. That's lovely. I, I, I thought for a moment I thought you said unfortunately they were very popular and we had to do another series. <laughs> well, because it depends by the, on your point of view. <laughs> by the end of this year, we will have done. I know they're short, but numerically, we will have done over a hundred documentaries on Queen. Surely that's a record. Surely that's a record for any band. Well, I think so. I think when you uh, the first series, I think when you put them all back to back, it was. Some it was well over four hours of wow of but content. someone did didn't they maybe it was a Queen Pod fan but yes, someone no, did, did back to back them and bookended the, you know, the all that stuff fan club convention yeah they um they very sweetly put them together and edited out the repetition of the hello and welcome to and next week and all that kind of stuff and just That's great. let it run it was yeah it was quite fascinating to see did they just do a four hour watch along they they did it over two days. <laughs> I need to get to a convention. <laughs> that is, that's how to spend convention time. Just sitting oh. there watching a four-hour version of something you've already seen. So good. Do you not think it's going to be like ninety percent of the audience out there going, "Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, knew that already. Yeah, I was there for that. I saw that one. Yeah, I knew that." <laughs> Brian got that. There's something I think there is something about Queen material, right? People feel like they can do stuff like re-edits. I love that about the fandom. It happened on a Brian video, a uh, music video, Simon and I worked on, the the W-O-M-A-N, where we, we put in a, a cut, Brian shifted that cut, then someone else came along and did their cut to it, just a, a random dude on YouTube went, here's my version of this video. And it was never, I think the people said, were you, were you annoyed that someone re-edited your video? No, it's so cool. It's so flattering. And, and it must, it really shines a light on what it must be to be someone who's been creating legendary hyper popular music for 50 years it's like is it mine it is mine but it's also yours right it's also it, it it's the fans and i don't know if i could reconcile well that's that. a that's a lovely attitude to someone out there clearly going i could have edited this better than you <laughs> differently <laughs> that, differently no no <laughs> 
That's not what they're thinking, my friend. They're saying that their vision was slightly different to ours. And <laughs> So you, uh, more than anyone, both of you actually, more than anyone I know, will have now, you know, a hundred documentaries on Queen by the end of this year, my goodness. The thing that I'm most curious about is what is your experience of going, sitting down with Brian and or Roger separately together, whatever, micing them up and getting your frames up and all of that, what are they like to do that with? <laughs> are they different? Okay, are they so the same? They have similarities, they have differences. The similarities, they are legends. They are unattainable. They are. They do cause butterflies in the stomach. Simon, you know them. You, you must all get that. When we oh, yeah. did a bit of filming... At a couple of weeks ago, um, we, there was a group of people waiting for... Sorry, I can't talk about what it is, but um, there was a group of people kind of waiting to welcome Brian and Roger. And, and um, you could see it. Everyone was on tenter, like proper, like oh, tiptoes. Like, oh my gosh, oh my God, he's here, he's here. The car's coming. Oh my God, it's Roger. Oh my God, it's Brian. You know, all this stuff. Like, you could hear the whispers around the building we were standing in. And um, I get it. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Brian's company. And I still have a moment of like, oh my God. Is he even going to know who I am? Uh, um, but then he comes in and he is what you'd want Brian to be. He is warm. He's sensitive. He's sensitive to to, to to your needs and what you're there to do, your job, essentially. He does command a room just by being there and the weight of experience and the weight of everyone knowing his history. Roger has exactly that, but I don't think Roger will ever know who I am. <laughs> I, 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 feel, I feel like I'm reintroducing myself to Roger every time I meet him. Um, which is partly fair. No, no, it's not. That's it's really not. Well, I'm hoping it's not about me. Maybe it is. Um, no, my point is more Roger's a rock star. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't, he, he cares deeply about the people he cares about. But, you know, if you're there to do a job around him, he's like, okay, let's get it done. He'll have fun with it. I think you can see in the master interviews, right, in Queen, mm. The Greatest Life, the overall series structure is hung around these these master interviews we did with Brian and Roger. And I don't think they've ever been on better form, not only in terms of their uh, eloquence, but also genuinely in terms of being who they are. This this might get really esoteric, Sam, there might be some editing here, but <laughs> don't mind me indulging just for a second. Lots of bands, lots of bands, a few bands, sorry, are known by the individual members and the individual members' charisma, personalities shining through. I think the Beatles had that. Blur have it, weirdly, I think. Mm. But anyway, um, Queen certainly have that. I don't believe that the personas that, that Brian and Roger have are in any way put on. They have been what's the word, perfectly imperfect their whole life. They they have been, because they've been rock stars, they have, they are themselves. And the amazing thing about spending time with them is that everything you've heard about, everything you want them to be, Roger is a bit naughty. He's a bit rock and roll. He's a bit punky. He's a bit like, eh, you know, come on, let's let's have some fun doing this. It's there, it's, it's so there. That is so who he is. It's it's there in spades. He can take this seriously, but it's, it's he, he, he is who you want him to be, which is who you you understand him to be. Brian, likewise. Brian is everything you'd want him to be. He is sensitive. He's thoughtful. He's diligent. Even with the two of them, you know, getting to the age there are and occasionally showing moments of weariness, moments, there's, there's so much wit, so much life, so much verve in both of them. That's the thing that unites them still. And their creative urgency, I think. They still both have... Yeah. There's still an urgency to both of them wanting to create stuff. Yeah. Not, I, I don't believe it's time running out because they've clearly been like this for their whole lives, right? Yeah. They are. They are going. No, we, we want to make stuff all the time, and it's really it's it's exciting to be in in orbit of that a little bit, even peripherally. It does rub off. I oh, this is this is a weird thing to say. Maybe I feel a bit more confident after I see them. Is that a weird thing to say? Wow. I I feel a yeah. little bit rock and roll after hanging around. With Brian or Roger, you get infected with self-belief. That's the second time you use the word "infected." I'm not sure, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it does osmose somehow. Yeah, it does. It does make you feel like, well, if these guys are human beings, technically, but look what they've done. Look what they've achieved, and look who they are. Look at who they yeah. still are. It's amazing. It's amazing. I think it, there's there's a point that must come in your career where 
you're just at ease with who you are and what you do. You don't feel like you have to prove anything to anyone and you're so relaxed with what you do. You go, look, if you like what I do, great. If you don't, fine. You know, it doesn't bother me. And I've interviewed some younger musicians and you sense in them that sheer fear that people won't like what they do and that it will all be over. Whereas when you're in Queen, you can afford for some people not to like you because it doesn't matter because millions of people do. And mm. that's fine. Um, and Is that I, fine? I would I would still be like, oh, there's one guy in Argentina oh, who's yeah, not bought no, the greatest hits yet. <laughs> well, you'd still be baffled. <laughs> Got to get to him. Got to get to him. Of course. <laughs> but they're at ease with themselves. And that puts you at ease when you're in their orbit, as you say, because they're not trying. Roger was on such good form for that that Queen, the greatest live interview. Yes. Like, I, I, I wish... I mean, we can't ever put it out at wholesale because there's some bits that are just silly. And, and, and it, you know, we we, we, we we filmed them for a while to get those interviews, obviously. Like, they were they were big interviews. And, and Simon knew that we were basically scaffolding the entire 50-episode series around the, these master interviews. Hmm. And so I've got, to, I've got to shout Simon's genius out for a start, like being able to ask the right questions to enable us to do a whole series <laughs> that was a proud moment in that for you simon i saw you there when roger said oh do you know what no no one's ever asked that question good question oh and yeah like, i love that yes that, yes <laughs> that's that, that, that's that, what you want to hear what was the question what, yeah. i can't remember what it was but i just did remember yeah you always what's your want... favorite song <laughs> <laughs> what's bohemian rhapsody about roger um it's <laughs> it yeah those moments where you you, you get them thinking that's that, that's nice because the the danger is is that they because they're so professional and they they're so experienced at it, it, it they can very easily slip into that PR mode where they just give you mm. the the stock answer because they've been asked that question so many times before it's almost there it takes no effort on their part just to to get it out and it's all good so you you want to to get them really thinking about stuff that they perhaps not thought of for a long time or come at it from an angle that they've not thought about for a while and sometimes it's like saying do you realize that when that happened you did that and they go oh yeah yeah I haven't mm-hmm. thought of that. yeah i suppose we did i suppose that's what is what that means and it, that's nice yeah that's great um not easy can i ask you guys a question have you have you noticed that now they're you know they're not they're not going to be putting together queen albums necessarily anymore like they're still going on tour they still want to honor their fans and create new ones but have you noticed a shift in terms of how they're describing their past it feel it it's a really convoluted way of saying that you know roger did seem more at ease with being more critical about the treatment of uh, that he sometimes had it felt like they were both a little freer with what they were saying in the interviews is that because they're like well he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna shut us down now um, yeah. Or is it, you know, is, is that something they're doing across the board? I think you're absolutely right. I think they are much more forgiving of their their past in, in terms of the imperfections that were there when they first started. And this came up in the conversation we had with Greg Brooks uh, on, a, on a pod where we were talking about the Miracle box set, where mm. he said... There's outtakes there's, from the studio. Yeah, which they would never have done 10, 15 years ago, maybe even five years ago, um, because for them that was studio time that was private and if it wasn't good enough to put out then then it's not good enough now but now i think they're going no we see the value in allowing people to see how we worked and how we reached there and you know we did things that perhaps didn't work but by doing that we then got to the point where it did Um, i think i think that maybe they've understood that there is there is magic there yeah. It's like, it's, uh, there's an analogue there with Spielberg not putting director's commentaries on his films because he believes that to explain how the film is made uh, diminishes the magic of them. I think the opposite is true. Finding yeah. out the conversation that, that Brian and Roger and Freddie and John had had before recording a take of a song would inform that take. That's so important and so cool and, and still utterly magical and mysterious as well. Yeah. Alchemical. But I, I think there is a fine line with, with, with showing your workings, but also... Don't sure. give away everything. Don't sure. ruin the magic. Don't. Um, oh yeah, no, fair enough. You know, don't look behind the curtain too closely because it ruins the effect, doesn't it? If you know too much, if that's the flip side of that saying, isn't it? No yeah. one, no one wants to see how the sausage is made. <laughs> There's something I think that comes with 
the passage of time. So for me, I was got into Queen while they were active and around and making stuff. So whenever I'm discussing Queen or thinking about Queen or listening to Queen, mentally I'm in that place. I'm straight back to 15, 16 years old and kind of... Mm. I still listen to them with that version of myself, if you like. It just takes me straight back to that age and the way I thought of that age and all that kind of stuff. The thing that struck me lately, particularly in having uh, revisited Queen in a lot more detail from, you know, the great luck that we have in getting to do this pod, is we're looking at, you know, the studio album era was, what, 17 years, give or take? Mm Mm-hmm. Which is actually, as you get older, an increasingly short amount of time. When I was 14, 15 years old, that's a lifetime. That's ages. God, they started in 73. That was ages ago. But actually, if I look at, you know, the number 17 as as a period of time now, well, my son's 24. He's far exceeded that. So, so 17 years is a smaller amount of time. It's a third of their career. Yeah, I can't imagine what it must be like as a perspective to have shone that brightly for 17 years that they're still shining brightly, maybe in some regards even brighter now in so many ways, brighter in America, for example, than they might have done at the time. But that 17 years has become a smaller amount of time for them as they have grown older, they've generated more output they moved on to new things they're now working with adam lambert and all kinds of stuff right they have a whole career of which that was just a part and i wonder if that is what's enabling them to be a little bit more circumspect about the whole thing now than perhaps they were at the time where it was all immediate and all present that makes sense but also i don't that that 17 years interesting you describe them as kind of burning brightly for 17 years because when when a band releases an album, obviously that is a, a crystalline nugget of perfection. That's exactly the message and concept and everything that that the band want to put out. But to the band themselves, that's months of work and and yeah. and probably a lot of the kind of footwork that that Roger particularly didn't enjoy doing. The publicity for them, maybe you know, it's the yeah. the, the actual act of putting them together was not a slog, but it's you know it's work and it's a period of time condensed into that into those tracks and and yeah. So they can be even more sanguine about it, I guess. That I don't know if you put stuff out when you when you listen. Ro, I know you listen to old episodes of the Queen Pod over and over again. Do you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Just that's bit. what hand lotion was invented for. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Um, I don't know. There's some things I've put out where I'm I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm happy that's out. The question of whether or not I do it differently is moot. And there's other things that I put out and go, I can I can only see the faults with it. I can only see the mistakes I made. Hmm. I don't know. If you're if you're a band as big as Queen, can you ever get to that place where you're like, no, that that bat that album is perfect. If I was allowed to do it again, I wouldn't touch a thing, kind of thing. Like Well, Brian said that about Back to the Light, actually. He said exactly that about Back to the Light. So I imagine The whole that, album on the song. That is the the, the album. album. He was really proud wow, of the okay. album. Um, and he didn't change it much, actually, when he remastered it. There was very little he changed. where queen music is bulletproof it, yes. because we you know queen as a entity have existed longer without freddie than it did with and right. yet it's still as you say still as massive you know every mm. time they do a poll of the greatest songs you know bohemian rhapsody is always there don't stop me now we are the champions rock you all these amazing songs they have stood the test of time and they will continue to do so so it's sort of it's indestructible isn't it it's yeah yeah uh, that must give you a certain ease that you go yeah no obviously we did make the right choices because it's still here 30 years after we lost fred people are still listening to it it's still on an advert it's still in the film 
we we put on a show at the O2 for 10 nights. We sell out every night. You know, people want to come. Oh, more than ever. Like, they pop, like yeah. Keep Yourself Alive popped up on Citadel. Tracks are dropping on Ted Lasso. Was it on Poker Face where there was a little uh, ballady version of um, Another One Bites the Dust? That could yeah. have been Fast and the Furious 9. It was one of the two. <laughs> so, yeah, like, like, you're right. It is, they are ubiquitous. And yet, what's interesting is, even for me now... It's what I'm making now that is most interesting to me. And I think that is true for them as well. And so I suppose there must be a element of, but this is what I'm doing now, but I'm talking about what I did then. And people are really interested in what I did then. Yeah. But I guess if you're successful long enough, you start to get into the remaster phase of your career. (laughs) That is what you're doing now is is also what you did then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a perfect yes. solution. Yeah, you do kill two birds with one stone. But do also, the then, now I think it is exciting because you take the Starfleet project for example, which is a, I love the Starfleet project. I discovered it all by myself when I was a kid. Couldn't believe it. Japanese import, the whole thing, and it was also something that Queen fans at large didn't seem to know much about because it was pre-internet. Yeah. And so now Brian's going to get to spend the summer chatting about the Starfleet project. I don't know how much he got to chat about the Starfleet project when it first came out. Probably some, but there'll be a lot more interest in it now, right? There'll be a lot more yes. available for him to talk about. Simon and I were chatting to Brian about Starfleet and the release of it. And and I think maybe an answer is in, an answer to your question, Ro, is in the first line of his answer or his chat about the album was, it was 1983. I, I, I don't remember a huge amount of 1983, but <laughs> um, so maybe that's the answer. Maybe things were just moving so quickly for him at the time. Yeah. Um that 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 it was it was one of those things where you I don't know, he put it together in what two days, three days, something like that. Oh my god. So like it was a thing he was doing, but but it must have just flown by. If I was Brian, I'd be amazed it still existed. Do you know what I mean? He got a bunch of mates over to a, a place in LA and, and and spent a couple of days jamming around a, a Japanese, you know, kids show theme tune. And now 40 years later, he's talking about a re-release of it. That's amazing. What yeah. a life. Yeah. Do you know what that brings me yeah. around to? Because I'm aware I haven't spoken much about actually what what they're like. And, uh, but, but the thing that always astounds me with Brian is the ego or, or lack of it. You would expect someone like Brian or Roger to be unbearable, right? <laughs> Surely. Yeah. 52 yeah. odd years, 53 years of... of, of, of not just being a rock star, but frankly, being treated like a rock star. When, when, as I said earlier on, when you walk into buildings, there's a hush and an excitement. Everyone's got butterflies in their tummies, and like, oh my gosh, it's Brian May, it's Roger Taylor. Like, mm. how does that not mean? How can they still fit their heads through the doors? But they're delightful. They'll chat. When, when Brian and I are on our own, on the rare occasions, he'll ask about my family. Yeah, What's I don't. Leave I don't know. Brian my fa- my family. What? <laughs> no, no, he won't. He won't do that for longer than thirty seconds. Didn't Brian once hand you a guitar and go, go on then? He handed me someone else's guitar and said, go on then. <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously not the guitar. <laughs> not his one. Um, no. My initial my, my reaction was straight. And obviously, I'd, I'd kind of, thinking about it, I'd set it up in my head because we were talking about being away and how it was weird on holiday. You're just away from guitars. And so often what I do when I get home is, is pick up, my, much to my wife's chagrin, I'll pick up my guitar and have a little fiddle, a uh, little strum. I just mentioned that to Brian. Is it, you know, is Brian, is it weird being away from, and I said, oh, I'll do it. I'm not going on. And he went, oh, here you go. And suddenly <laughs> Brian May was asking me to play guitar in front of him because of a thing I'd said that, that I regret. And so the, <laughs> the, my, my reaction to it was so, what, in front of you? <laughs> and and then he, obviously, obviously, obviously he was lovely. He just went, oh, don't be silly. And I, 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 <laughs> I, I squeezed out a 
Clapton-esque lick and, and and gingerly put the guitar down again. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll dine out on that for the next couple of decades. Thanks, Brian. What was your relationship <laughs> with your 20-year-old self in that moment? Because obviously when you're a kid, you're like, one day I'm going to play my guitar in front of Jimmy Page and then he'll know that I'm as big a legend as him or whatever it is. And then you actually get a rock god turning to you going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? Whenever Brian talks about guitarists... He cites the guitarists he admires the most as being the ones that have their own flavour. The ones where, and I, I, I kind of agree that the best guitarists are the ones who's, who's playing you can recognise straight away. You hear a lick and go, oh, I know who, who's playing that. You can rec- recognise Satriani, you can yeah. recognise Eddie Van Halen, you can, rec- you can yeah. certainly recognise Jimmy Page, even though Jimmy Page was mostly doing pentatonic stuff. You can definitely recognise Brian. Mm. Yes. Right? You can, you can recognise Brian. He may be the most distinctive guitar player in history. I think so. <laughs> yeah, and I think I do think that's also why he tops guitarist polls all the time is because it's so distinctive. That that is best. Distinctive on guitar is best. Yeah, Anyone right. can play a blues scale and put a bit of distortion on it to sound individual. That's that's what every guitarist I believe is 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 aiming for. And it's kind of evolutionary as well. When Brian was playing uh it's doing a bit of tapping on it's late is it does he do a tapping solo on it's late and eddie van halen heard that and based everything he did on that little bit oh, of tapping wow. and so when brian came back to eddie van halen to say oh i love your style that tapping thing is amazing eddie said to brian but i mean i got that off you <laughs> <laughs> so yeah Um, there is a there is a sharing of skills there, but nevertheless, there's a uniqueness to the greatest guitarist in the world. All of this is to say, the odds of anyone recognising my individual style are zero. <laughs> and, uh, um, so that's what Brian got. So to get back to the Greatest Live series, mm. yeah, what I'm enjoying is you're kind of getting, uh, I think it's every five episodes you get... Uh, an interview episode with the boys, and then you get two or mm-hmm. three, maybe four live performances of a single song. Just to talk about, so we've had kind of, I mean, at the point of recording, we've had rehearsals, we've had the set list, we've had openers, we've had costume. Mm-hmm. Um, lights. Lights we've done as well. So mm-hmm. which bits haven't we seen yet? I think the, the if, you, if you've noticed there's opening numbers, then... You can probably guess <laughs> one of the segments, although they haven't changed it in a while. I do think that um, that Simon, the the kind of the chapter we've had just recently, the kind of set list, the song order segment, is exploratory. There's probably more to talk about there, mm-hmm. right? Because the the middle bit is something that's you know not not a huge number of bands do that. I think Queen mm-hmm. probably set the precedent, but but a, a lot of a lot of, uh, there's a few rock bands that have the quiet bit in the middle sometimes just getting the acoustic guitars out right it's an extraordinarily brave thing to do in a rock gig isn't it yeah like if you actually look at that objectively people are paying to rock out and stand up and cheer and wave their arms and jump about the place and holler how dare you sit on your own with an acoustic guitar (laughs) (laughs) i mean what but it's, but it's oh, the it's biggest so sing-along bit right, of it? the show as well. Right. So in a, in a way, it's also the biggest one. And emotionally, it's the biggest moment. Most uplifting as well, as well. right. Because we're yeah. all sharing a moment with Fred. That's the answer to that answer then, isn't it? Yeah. Like it is yeah. a risk, but it's clearly very well calculated yeah. as a risk. Um, but there's loads of stuff. I don't know how there's, I, I think there's there's stuff to look at in terms of the alchemy of them playing live generally, just to, to ask other people, why do you think Queen's the greatest band live? Um, 
because they're not necessarily do they might have led the led the way in terms of live performances but they're not necessarily doing things that other bands aren't aping so how are they still doing it better how are they still on top of it right how are they yeah. still putting on the best shows how are they how is it not stale how how are they, how are they still yeah. doing it so well they're not bored of their material, are they? No. no, which is really, really nice. And I think that's, well, it probably speaks to the complexity of the original material and the fact that there's there's so much scope in there to to change things around and have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah. Evidenced by, I'd say most notoriously, uh, uh, We Will Rock You Fast, right? Like, yeah. why not just take a song and complete, like, play it. I wonder if you slowed We Will Rock You Fast down, would it sound like We Will Rock No, obviously not, because there's guitars and all sorts going on. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, how cool how cool to take one of your own songs and go ah oh, we need a fast one what about this medium one we've got just make it fast alright yeah how does that sound oh awesome yeah let's keep doing that <laughs> brilliant brilliant yeah. that's a great equation Actually, that leads very nicely because I thought I'd give you all a little treat. Okay. Um, because um, I thought it'd be nice to try and find a clip from the interviews that we did that we're not going to use. Um, <gasps> Sorry, and then man. Share it here. Just because, why not? Um, and at the time Whoa. of us recording this pod, the chapter that we are talking about is about adapting songs and how songs transferred from a studio recording into uh you know being working on stage on you know working live um and brian and roger as you'd expect talk wonderfully about you know sometimes when they're writing a song in the studio they've got an eye on it as a live thing sometimes there are songs that just would never move on to live because they would never thought that way um but what they both talk about is how the when you're doing something live it can evolve that the song can take on a life of its own and become something just by that process of of, of changing it for live. And um, I asked Brian specifically about uh, Hammer to Fall when they went on tour with right. Rogers and it became a very bluesy number. And I wanted to, to understand that thought process. Yeah, and for those that maybe aren't aware of that, the, the Paul Rogers tour... Uh, they did this. I think it was the second tour with Paul Rogers. They did. Brian did this lovely version where he started Hammer to Fall acoustic. Yeah, and then it kicked off with Paul coming in. But it was you, it was you saw that was didn't you? Right, you saw that truck tour. Saw yeah. them all, Brixton? baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. it's it's something that we're not going to use in the in the uh, the final piece because there's so much other great stuff and we couldn't fit it in. But I thought, hey, why don't half it's a Lovely. podcast exclusive. It, there That's you go. Sweet. I know you love those things. And then what it's, we'll do I is love beautifully them. set up an opportunity for Sam then to drop in a clip of Paul Rogers singing. <laughs> every night and every day A little piece of you is falling away But lift your face The western
I'd sketched that on my solo tour. I, I thought, how do I sing Hammer to Fall? Because I'm not an all-out singer like Freddie or Paul or Adam are. I'm, I'm a singer who, can, who has a certain sort of range in his palette, and, and I like to just sing and kind of narrate things. So Hammer to Fall, I thought, well, I, I could sing it just as a kind of ballad and sing it as I feel it. Here we stand, here we fall, history won't care at all. As opposed to, here we stand, you know. And um, it became something which I really enjoyed playing. There's a few live tapes of it around. So when we started to do it with Paul, it was kind of beckoning because Paul's totally a blues singer. So we said to Paul, do you fancy this? And we, I started playing the riff and he was like, yeah, I can feel that. And he just naturally slipped into singing it the way he sang it. And again, really no reference to the record. We didn't care. It was getting the song across in the way that he could communicate it. And Paul was wonderful at all that kind of blues interpretation and always will be. Um, so yeah, it, it's moments of discovery. Oh, we could do this. <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's lovely. And you, I noticed that you cut out just before he went on to explain how they're planning to do Breakthrough Live. So I guess you're saving well, that for the series. Keeping their secrets, you know, don't want to ruin the magic for the Breakthrough Tour. That's episodes 46 to 50. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just talking about how to play Breakthrough Life. Five yeah. episodes. <laughs> That's all you need. And the first episode is about how it, once you've mastered the baseline to the Invisible Man, Breakthrough's walk in the park. <laughs> <laughs> they're both... I reckon a bassist would need thumb protectors if they're going to do both of those songs every night. It's oh. a lot of bass in those two songs. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> When it came to the live tunes that you're putting between each one, I'm really surprised by the like ogre battles in there and stuff like that. There's some really nice deep cuts that you're shining a light hmm. on. To what extent did you guys do any work, or did, would you just take one live performance the way it was and that would be it, or did you have to do some work on each of them as well? Queen being an amazing band live means that you could put any song into a video and it and it would repercuss in the way that you'd want it to as a documentary maker right that's to say there are some people who are going to see all of queen stuff live right even they will find this moment recontextualized by simon's voiceover and find value in seeing it again hearing it and watching it again so i think i think there is literally there's literally the choice of all of their canon to put to these mini documentaries we're doing they will always be satisfying. I, 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 well, actually, that said, Brian and Roger, there are certain performances they aren't fans of, weirdly. <laughs> They're not necessarily keen on us using because they felt they were having an off night that night, you know? Right. Um, right. Despite 99% of the fans going, like, what are you yeah, talking yeah, yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and also just 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 the, the delight of putting those live songs and, and, and editing them together is in, there are tempo changes. They're not always exactly the same. They do shift uh, tempos, not keys, obviously. They're, they're usually going to play songs in the same key. But editing them is so much fun, getting to, to, to choose the moment <laughs> where you go, you're in 1977, now it's 1980. <laughs> and the, it's the same song. That's... Um, and now it's Live Aid. What? Um, uh, yeah, I love that stuff. It's really fun. And it's, it is, it's, 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 it's to do again with the alchemy of their, their writing, the quality of their recording and, and, and the, uh, the technical showmanship. I mean, it's just astonishing. It all, it weirdly, it makes it very easy to edit. I imagine Simon, it also makes it very easy to, to choose <laughs> or does yeah. it make it impossible to choose which song is going well no there's, there's yeah i mean i think there's there's definitely a, a lot to choose from and i've enjoyed <laughs> the fact that we've got the time to not just bang out the hits and and to go for those deep cuts because i think it's sort of it's great for people who perhaps haven't seen the whole concert films of montreal or milton Keynes or wembley or whatever you know, for us to say, well, look, you know, th there's this from here and this is a curiosity. You might not have seen this done live before. But when you make a TV documentary and you're trying to tell a story in an hour or an hour and a half or whatever, 
when you get to those moments of seeing the band perform live, you have to kind of get in, make your point and get out again. What's lovely about these is we just stay on the song, just let the song yeah. play. And it's only three, four minutes of your life, but you just get to just enjoy the moment. And there are certain performances that every time I see them, they just make the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. So to just mm. have a clip where you just get to relive that moment, I hope on a Friday when they get posted, you just get that little rush each week of... Oh, I do, yeah. I do. Because in the end, it's why we love Queen. Yeah. It, it is the songs. And actually, there's something quite powerful about allowing the song to... Because in the documentary format, you only ever get a snippet of a song. Interesting. you've got to move to on. Yeah. Sit there and just to let the song speak for itself. There's no voiceover at the end of each of those episodes. The, the song has the final word, and out you go, and then we'll hear your contextualization again. Yeah, but I, I tell you what, that that's always the hardest bit of the, every every edit. The hardest bit is finishing. Yeah, the right, right. Knowing when to cut away, like literally leave it last night. I'd rather it segued into the next song, and we just carried the video on. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but then you have the whole concert, and that defeats the object. But <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Out of all of these live songs. Which were the ones that that pinged for you personally? That that even sheer heart attack. Months? Sheer heart attack. The track straight away. I'm going to say sheer heart attack. We did a we did a three Why? version cut through a sheer heart. I don't know. <laughs> I, th- I think because <clears throat> I believe it's their messiest song. It's their punkiest song for sure. Mm. Yeah. Well, Does, is punky an analog for messy? Is that? <laughs> but but yeah. Uh, it's it, deliberately it should... raw and yeah. Right. It is so when you hear it, you kind of go this. If you if you're think I don't know why you'd listen to a Queen song thinking about it in the context of editing it, but if you happen to be, maybe I'm on my own in this. But when I heard Sheer Hardstack, I was like, I can't cut, I can't cut that song. How are you supposed to cut between that? It's just noise. Even even the vocals are kind of noise. That's that's very reductive. Obviously, little, I don't think the song is in noise. In our in our articulate, <laughs> there's so there's so uh, noise. Where do you cut in in a in a in a in a chorus that goes? She heart attack. Like, it's, it's, where's the cut point there? Like, is it just it's, it's at either end? You can't cut during it. Um, it being a punky track and a fast track, they're going hell for leather whenever they play it live. Yeah, it's so it's kind of hard to keep up with them, you know. Um, but it wasn't the challenge that made me enjoy it. It was just the 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 fact that I think that that particular episode covers 10 years. There's there's three episodes, three performances about 10 years apart. And there's just as much meat to the song every time they wow. play it. There's no slacking off at any point. There's just, wow. come on, we love this song, let's play it. Come on, everyone. Like, <laughs> it's so full of life. It's so joyous. That's a good chat, actually, because every time we make an episode, it goes to Brian and Roger f- for their approval, so they don't get posted until we get get approval from both of them. And um, it was lovely. Roger wrote back, going, "Love this one. Bloody hell, we played that fast." They <laughs> 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 did. They really did. And it's sort of like you know, I love the fact he's looking back on it now, going, "God, how did we do that? That was so fast. Why did we do wow. that?" Yeah. Wow. And is that a track that you sort of? Had a relationship with before this? Was it this process that made you go, oh, yeah, no, I might play this to people that are curious about Queen? Do you know what? Mm, I don't know. Because when I, when I was growing I honestly don't know. I might have had a relationship with it. My dad played a lot Your of Queen. Your dad had news of the when world, I was young. right? And you were scared. He had news of the world on vinyl. I loved that cover. Right. I'm just scared, but in the same way that I, you know, I love horror movies. 
Sure. And the, because they scare me. Something yeah, about yeah, that yeah. album was very alluring. Oh, yeah. What does it mean? <laughs> How it does? Um, why are they dead? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the, and, and the album itself is is robust. But as a kid, I definitely would not have enjoy, enjoyed the, the jagged edges of Sheer Heart Attack. Right. I, I owned albums by Prince, you know, very, very highly produced <laughs> funky pop, sure, right? Sure, sure. Um, to my shame, I had, I had, I think I had Kylie's first album. That's who I was when I was eight. Right. Um, uh, it wasn't until I was 13 that someone introduced me to L7 and Pearl Jam and Nirvana and, and then working backwards. <laughs> Queen, Led Zeppelin. Oh, oh, right. right. That's what music is. <laughs> Highly. Knocked her out the window. Um, you should be so lucky. <laughs> that's so that's a good one. There you that's go. a good so one. So cheap. <laughs> tears on my so pillow that night. heart attack. <laughs> wow, that's, you really did have an album. Deep cut. Uh, what, what is um, next year's 50 videos about the greatest Queen going to be about. Oh, Simon's put his head in his hands. Uh, can any messages be divined from Queen songs when we play them backwards? <laughs> How about a half speed? How about a quarter speed and backwards? Oh, my word. <laughs> Episode four. If you take the initial of every song title and reorder them, what sentence do they spell? Um... I do genuinely, <laughs> to be serious for a moment, Simon. I will. I will. It's very rare. I'm nice to you on this pod, but I have to say, I I was genuinely blown. I was I was genuinely <laughs> blown. I was genuinely blown away. Away is <laughs> that uh, that that, <laughs> that that last year uh, you had written these fifty videos, these scripts, and and kind of just done it, you know. And and it's a great credit to you. Giles, um, to do the actual work of actually putting it together, but um, to conceive of and write fifty episodes and lay it out in five minute chunks was—I I don't think any like it's harder to make things that are short than it is to make things that are long. And mm. um, I, th I think it's a huge credit to you that you were able to pull that off. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. And then when you turned around and went, yeah, no, we're doing another fifty about their life. I'm like, how is that gonna? How are you going to do that? But actually, I really like that what you've done is essentially 10 to 12 clear landmark episodes that mm. then feature the band being live. And I think that's an excellent, excellent solution. So I think we need 50 about their music videos. Yeah. Uh, Simon's, Simon's influence doesn't stop at the writing and recording because obviously what a lovely voice to listen to. What a lovely voice to take you through 100 episodes, right? We discovered something odd, didn't we, Simon? Where, where, when your voice comes straight in after the intro, people are more likely to watch the whole video. Whereas, if there was a pause and then you started talking, like as in we saw some Queen shenanigans, and then Simon started talking after like fifteen seconds, the drop off was a little bit quicker, and it was a bit of a weird hmm. algorithmic anomaly happening. Ooh. So I believe that actually. Simon is the fifth member of the band. That's what I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think Simon has got a sexy voice. He gives me a twist on a regular basis. <laughs> stop basis. now, stop, please. No, I think it, you've it, got to do a podcast with him. It, com <laughs> it, it comes down to I think what you're saying is it's the context that people are interested in. Mm. Is is hopefully yes. what we're what we're asking people to do is like you have seen this clip. Many of you have seen it many, many times before, mm. but why don't we look at it now specifically with this aspect of it in in mind, and hopefully yeah. it will enrich our, our enjoyment. We already love it, but we get to marvel in, in its brilliance. I mean, I think Sheer Hashtag, was that part of the lighting chapter? I think, I think so. it might have been, because you know the lighting just goes absolutely berserk during that mm. song, and... And so you get an extra level of enjoyment from it when you look behind the band and just see what's going on behind them. And you realise what a big part that is playing in, in selling this amazing song. That's what I hope the series does. Anyway. Yeah, no, and I think I think that is true. I mean, even with the pod, when we looked at... The best example of that for me is You're My Best Friend. When mm. we examined You're My Best Friend and you're like, OK, that is a song that everyone knows. People often play it at their weddings or whatever very commercial track actually you might know John Deacon wrote it he's the bass player fine you know you understand that John Deacon's written another one bites the dust one of the most famous bass lines in the history of music 
why you're my best friend. And then when we chatted about it and looked at it, actually we spent most of our time looking at, at or listening to John's bass line. And it is an extraordinary bass line that's going on yeah. all the way through that song. And suddenly you hear you hear that song in a different way because you've been asked to focus on an element of it. And I think your videos are doing the same thing. They're, they're, they're asking us to look at a particular aspect of something. And, and, and you're right. It then refreshing, refreshes this song. Refreshes? Yeah, this song. The... Hmm. Um, that we know so well that we've probably heard hundreds of times across our lives, <laughs> depending on our age, I suppose. Sam, you're seeing it all again, and I think the same thing is true with these, with these little videos. Where I think, as a fan, I was kind of like, well, I'm I'm there for the interview episodes, and yet I find myself watching all the in between episodes hmm. because I'm just watching my band play, my favourite yeah. band play. That's all you need, and it does feel like I'm watching this stuff in a fresh way. And I think you're. Your little contextualizations are doing that actually. It's a very visual series as well, because we're talking about lights and the and the the presence on the stage. It's interesting to be talking about visual aspects of the band that aren't their videos. You know what I mean? Yes. And the costumes, yeah. the lights, yeah. how they how it's how they're presenting yeah. outside of the context of the music. Like it's, it's they're, they're they're presenting the music and the visuals at the same time. The two are linked inextricably. But it's just interesting to be taking an angle on it is on 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 specific parts of that. Well, they're an audio format, quite <laughs> creative endeavour, right? That their artistic yeah. expression is audio, and yet they are visual and theatrical to such a vast degree. They burst beyond the confines of the vinyl. Such a vast degree. I've never really thought that before. But yeah, yeah. Mm. how many people know who Queen are? Could recognise? Could name a few of their songs, and couldn't describe. At least one, let's be honest, at least two members of the band. Yeah. 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 It's almost as if they are the greatest. Way! See what I did there? He's so good at writing, isn't he? He brings it all back. It's all all circular. It's very clever. (laughs) Well, look, it's been lovely having producer Giles back on the queen pod we yeah, have missed been him too long. much yeah. oh, i've missed you guys it's been lovely chatting and 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 thank you for letting me indulge my witterings for a second time on the podcast before we let you go though um we could probably play a quick game can't we produce yeah oh, nice. play the game play the game play the game yeah we asked the patrons uh to send us their questions for you producer giles um what this is what people wanted to know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kathy Gallagher uh, asked hey, Kathy. how you pick the subject matter for each greatest, live ah. or the greatest, which is maybe more a question for Simon without... <laughs> I, well, I can, I can answer it. I, um, uh, and thanks, Kathy, for a lovely question. Um, yeah, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Simon does it. Hi. I, I can tell you exactly. When um, I was a teenager uh, growing up listening to Queen and I was probably in the minority in my class at school of people who were obsessed. There were other Queen fans, but you know, certainly there were other people who followed what was the cooler bands. I would regularly in my head imagine someone asking me that question. You know, why are Queen so good? And then I would have this brilliant answer prepared. So why are they so good? Also, why are they so brilliant live? So I had it all rehearsed in my head, all the reasons why Queen are the greatest. (laughs) And no one ever asked me that question. Um, So for this series, I imagined myself being asked, why are Queen the greatest live? And I just reeled off all the reasons why. And made them into chapters. Basically, it's it's because they pick the right opening number. It's because the set list is so meticulously built. It's because they choose what they wear. It's you know how they do the lighting and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And we've got some uh, other stuff coming up later in the the series that go into that in depth. But basically, I'm just using this as an opportunity to answer the question I never got asked yeah, as a lovely. teenager. I bet you had a hundred and four. Oh. Five minute answers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So now Rose asked, you know, why are Queen's videos so great? We've got we've got another fifty answers. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. So this is your version of getting like a stud earring and a motorbike and running off with your secretary. Your version of that. (laughs) 
at middle age. It's yeah. the right. I... This is why Queen is so good. Finally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forty years I've waited to answer this question. Force Nobody's bothered to ask, so I'm just going to tell you anyway. <laughs> that makes you the right. And person I'm going to make you listen to me for a whole year. <laughs> I've got the conch. <laughs> it's all been leading to this moment. That's brilliant. So, Kathy, that is brilliant how we choose the chapters. <laughs> oh, great question, Kathy, and lovely to hear from you. Kimberly Stoner has said, uh, obviously, the interviews with Brian Roger are a highlight uh, of the series. Um, we've already heard one of the answers that didn't make it in, um, but are there any others that won't make it into the series <laughs> that you could share a memory of, potentially? It's fair enough, if not. We can, we can only really allude to the stuff we're going to cut out obliquely. And thank you, Kimberly, for a lovely question as well. But it's a bit of a naughty question because I think you know the answer is we can't put the naughty stuff in. There is an element of, of stuff that I don't think we're going to be able to f- fit in, but both of them touched on on this. And I think it just feeds into what we've been trying to, to show over this series and what we'll, we'll do for the rest of it, is they are genuinely baffled by the sheer number of acts that are current that will play to a click track. They do it because obviously there's visuals and there's effects that have to be so perfectly timed that to make that work, you have to perform the song at exactly the right tempo and exactly the right shape every night for all of that to work. But that, to Brian and Roger, is the complete opposite of what a live show is for them all of their tricks come from the music so the music dictates everything that happens in that in a queen live show and everything else reacts to that whereas at the moment it seems to be for a lot of musicians the other way around is the music has to fit in to what else is going on and they they both when you sort of touch on that it's almost like they get triggered and they're off and they just get really angry because for them it it would rob them yeah. of that ability to evolve a song and to to change it and to play with it and and just to give each audience a unique live experience which is what they're trying to do i think there's a lot less interaction when you've got a click track as well as in if, if there's a sudden roar for a moment or a thing that's happened on stage during a song or towards the end of a song then they can pause in that moment yeah. and enjoy it, let it flourish and then double down on it or move on or, you know, yeah, it's, it's, a, there's a lot less audience involvement as a click track. It is about the show and there's a proscenium separating the the show and the audience. And I think that's antithesis yeah. to Queen, right? That's, that's the opposite yeah. of what they want. There was a wonderful conversation I had with, with Brian when we were viewing back some footage from the Rhapsody tour and it was the guitar solo in, a kind of magic and I just think I said oh this you know this is such a great solo I'm you know you look like you're having so much fun sort of doing it you know you the freedom to do a solo and he said oh you see a man enjoying himself I see a man desperately trying to think how am I going to get out of this solo and back into the song I've just gone down a route uh, just where I fancy going and now I'm thinking how do I get back (laughs) wow and and the rest of the band are waiting for me to give them that moment where they all go okay and we're and we're back in it um and that's live isn't it and that's how amazing to stand in front of all those people and just go I'm doing my thing and oh I suppose I better get back to the song because they're all waiting for me you know and and to have a, a, the rest of the band know instinctively when's the mm. right moment to, to rejoin. Yeah, that's, um, that is that's live. magic. That's, that's magic. That's that what is magic. Li- yeah. yeah, that is what live... But all, all of that's to say that occasionally Roger and Brian are vocally a little bit astounded by other bands, frankly, not being as brave or as skillful. And why wouldn't yeah. you be? You can clearly play the instruments, but they're the bits we're not going to put in because you know well, they are loving they love music they love musicians it's just occasionally they're like why aren't you doing this better yeah you should know better because <laughs> you can do it mm, you exactly. don't need well, yeah it, live doesn't have to be perfection that's yeah. the thing because it's a moment yeah of you're right these what's interesting is it's the tours now that the music industry is sort of making a lot of its money out of and and now these things are hugely rehearsed yeah, uh, and yet Queen still put on a massive stage show. It is fully rehearsed, 
And yet they are playing live, which means that it is uh, an interactive experience with the group of people that are there to see them on that particular night every single time. It is different every single time. And that's the job. You know, famously, they're the ones that used their rehearsal time for, um, was it Live Aid? Where no one else Mm. did? Yeah, like that's yeah. that's that's telling, right? That's really telling yeah. about what they want to achieve. Yeah. yeah, and that's why they're the greatest live band in the world. There you go. This no, has been huge fun. Simon um, did that earlier. Oh damn! <laughs> <laughs> Got a call back. It works. I just, I just love. It's been love a day, new mum. Uh, it's bye. been lovely having you back with us, Giles. Thank you so much for 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 coming. Uh, taxi. Oh, for thanks Giles. for having me. Thanks uh, for having me. again. I know. There can't be a third time. <laughs> Great, lovely. Cheers, gang. Thanks, Ro, as always. Yeah. And thank oh, you, producer Sam. And also, I have to say, because we've done this on Zoom, I'd like to thank Ro and Sam's cat, Tumbles, because what he keeps oh, doing is God. visiting one of them. So you see him in one picture of Zoom, and then he leaves <laughs> and then appears in another one. We just needed him to appear with me and Giles at different times, and it would this have been amazing. Ridiculous. <laughs> He is just, he's just going from one to the other for cuddles and it's ridiculous when you're trying to record. It is ridiculous. Brilliant. It's been great fun. We'll see you all again next time. For, for now, bye. Bye. This has been The Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production. Edited and produced by me, Sam Easton. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætter alle de der podcast og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmakker.